Welcome to episode number 72, and today we have a spotlight. We have a very special guest in the spotlight today, Mr. Wiley McGraw, and he has, um, I, I just have to tell you as a viewer, this is our third attempt to record this interview because <laughs> it's going to be so amazing. And yeah. We're having tech yeah. problems here on our end or his end or both ends, who knows, but nonetheless, we persist. And so, Wiley, why don't you tell us, you have an illustrious background, and I don't say that lightly, why don't you tell us a little bit, about, and the viewer, a little bit about who you are and what you do? <laughs> of course, Harry. I love it. Here we go. Uh, third time's a charm, as they say, right? Uh, That's so, right. First of all, thank you both for having me on the show today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving in and deep with you, but uh, I will do my best to keep it top level for your audience so we can get to the meat and potatoes. But for me, it's um, I have a very we all have an interesting background. We all have our own unique stories. But for me specifically, I grew up. Uh, I was born to a, a, a semi-pro ball player. I have two brothers. I grew up in Southern California. A very athletic household. Sports was a primary focus. Big Irish Scottish family. And at a young age, uh, my dad recognized that I had a talent. I had an arm like him that he had in the '70s, and he immediately put me into the sport and got me onto the mound. And throughout that uh, time of playing baseball competitively, I learned about being a leader. I learned about being a performer. I learned about focus, discipline, uh, commitment, persistence, uh, and seeing things through. And it was really great because it allowed me to grow into uh, understanding myself. But as I got older, I realized that I was playing the game more for the love of my dad and for the expectations of the pro athletes that trained me from the California Angels pitching staff. I grew up around Bo Jackson. I met Mickey Mantle. My dad's friends were Rod Carew. So I had all of this expectation placed upon me. That started to. We having a problem again? Oh no no! You're not. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, just <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> so I'll just keep sharing. Hold on, hold on one second. Wait. All right. Welcome to episode number 72. And today we have a spotlight. We have a very special guest in the spotlight who we're excited to talk about. We've gotten to know him a little bit in our attempts to record <laughs> this interview, which if, if, if we're going to talk about perseverance, which is one of our favorite right. topics, we have this persevered. Is <laughs> this is it. This is this is take four. So hopefully, I'm not going to keep talking here because I'm going to let Wiley yeah. talk. But he has an illustrious background. I don't say that lightly. Uh, U.S. military, baseball, all kinds of great things. And I know he does a lot of coaching. So, Wiley, you can do yourself much more justice than I can. Why don't you tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, perseverance. Here we are. You persevere, you win. I think that's a, a good philosophy for people to listen to. But uh, – Again, thank you very much for, for both of you for having me here today. I'm looking forward to the conversation and I will give it as surface level as I can. Going back into the fact that I grew up in a very athletic household in a big family. Uh, sports was our primary focus. My dad was a semi-pro ball player. My, both my brothers played sports, but for me uh, as the firstborn son, he recognized the talent that I had and put me in the game immediately. Now I grew up around guys like Bo Jackson, uh, Reggie Jackson, uh, Rod Carew. I met Mickey Mantle when I was nine. So I, I had a, these big shoes to to fill, to live up to with the people that were around me. And uh, I, I learned real quick about uh, what it meant to be a leader on a team, what it meant to be a team player, learn how about focus, discipline, uh, uh, practice, uh, per perseverance, if you will, as a pitcher. And as I got older though, I started to discover more about why I played the game rather than just playing the game because it was what I was born into. So. 
when I started to have that conversation with myself, I realized I was playing the game not 100% for myself and what it is that I loved. I was doing it for the expectation of my dad, his relentless need for me to be perfect and be the best pitcher possible so I can become a pro baseball player. Uh, and I started to fracture my mindset a little bit. So I started to seek out alternative uh, environments for myself to, to learn more about Wiley, challenging myself. And I found the seductive world of rodeo, and more specifically bull riding, to be the place that really ignited this inner fire that I'd been waiting to meet that I wasn't getting in baseball. And in bull riding, it's an un, a whole un, world of unknowns. It's chaotic. It forces you to become present with yourself, your mindset, your intuition, your emotions. I really leaned even deeper into my faith, you know, as a Catholic. And I was like, oh, God, please don't let me die in this. But at the end of the day, what I realized was that it, it really it, it, it introduced me to a whole new aspect of being human in the world of rodeo because there's so many unknowns and un unknown variables. So it, it, it persistently allowed me to perfect my ability to learn how to be present in the moment rather than worried about what might or might not happen. And I found that when I started to distract in those environments, that's when I got hurt or that's when I didn't ride well. That's when I couldn't win the competition. So it was really nice to, to finally meet that more grittier side of myself and learn how to be even better in my own skin as a bull rider. And then I wanted more. So that's when I found myself drawn into the military. I joined the United States Army and served as a combat infantrymen with the 101st Airborne Division. I did three tours overseas as a light infantry mortar uh, men, and I led guys into combat. And through those experiences, I started to understand more about myself, even in a way that I didn't understand as a kid or even as a bull rider. And that was that I possessed some natural born God-given gift to, you, to see the blind spots in people's performance and where they're interacting with life themselves, what is really plaguing people and how it's affecting their ability to live the life they say they want. My guys on my team were coming to me with all their personal problems, family members, friends, always giving me the deepest, darkest secrets that they would never even tell their therapist. And I thought, well, if I'm, this is something unique here, I feel weird. Let me just pursue when I get out of the military on how I can understand that gift and what I could do out in the world to serve others in this capacity. So eventually got to the point where I faced and battled through whatever demons I was dealing with from the military and going to war and getting into gunfights, the, the stress that I had you know, built up over my family dynamics, et cetera, learning how to face and battle that head on allowed me to understand what it means to actually be free from those scars, if you will. And I turned around and built a business around that gift, naturally starting with combat veterans, helping them heal through PTSD in a very fast pace to the point where the VA was saying, hey, what are you doing? Something's different here. Guys were living with me. I was spending 24 seven with them. I was getting them into the space where they were able to sleep at night, getting off their medications. So it got to the, the understanding that this business was built around that rather than following somebody else's blueprint. I never really found myself following gurus or other coaches. I found life experiences to be better mentors for me. And I wanted to provide that opportunity for other people so they can experience what makes sense for them in their life as well. And, and it just grew into the place where word of mouth uh, passing me along different industries as a private confidant, essentially behind the scenes, slaying demons of very powerful and prominent people from different industries, different high achievers from pro sports to Wall Street, Hollywood, uh, personal development, especially that industry. I got to I have a bunch of stories I could share with that aspect of things. But um, yeah, that's the, the long story short. And now it's what I've been doing for the last 14 years. And I've been, you know, out in more public eye now doing digital stuff like having great conversations with you, find people as well because the pandemic came and people were wondering to know, hey, 
what you do is not coaching. What you do is completely different than the self-help field. Uh, it's very unique. It's very different. How do we explain it to the world? And that's why I'm out now having these great chats so I can uh, help identify, hey, we've got more to do as a species than what we, we've been led on to believe. And I'm very committed to the mission purpose that I have now. Oh, oh well, yeah. that, that, that uh, is is ominous to say the least and yeah. in a good way in a really good way so you've you like us and, and i don't know how much you know about our our history and our background but both of us have experienced some degree high degree uh, of challenges and, and often trauma in our past yeah. earlier life and so you deal with that and that that came to you obviously yeah. in I, I can't even begin to fathom what it would be like to be in combat. I rode a mechanical bull once <laughs> for maybe five seconds before I was flipped yeah. off the state fair. Um, yeah, those hurt. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, yeah. and so, yeah. so when you talk about being present, I think I, I can certainly relate to that. Mm -hmm. Very, very complex and very diverse background, Wiley. I, I you correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're on the ball field, you were a pitcher though, right? Yes. Yeah, a little bit different than being an outfielder. I played at right. baseball. I wasn't any good ever. Um, <laughs> you know, if I got off the bench, I was really blessed uh, because <laughs> everyone else was broken and I was the only thing left. But Oh, man. But nonetheless, I know that you could space out really easy out in the outfield or even in the infield, maybe not so much as a pitcher, but you don't have to be real present all the time. You should be, but to go right. from that to bull riding, what, mm. what were some of the things that you developed specifically to have that degree of focus and that presence mm. in bull riding that you still use to this day? That's a great question. I had a feeling you were going to ask that because the, the transitional point where I basically irritated my father and moved towards that world when he wanted me to be focused over in the baseball world, I had to basically learn how to manage that kind of intense, uncomfortable dynamic between my father. You get to consider at home, you're a teenager saying, right. hey, guess what? I'm no longer going to be focused on this sport. You're so relentlessly wanting me to be doing for a living because that's what you did in the 70s um the money is now there clearly there's more money now in baseball and, and i understand that i could have gone and been a pro ball player and people ask that question why didn't you do that in a great career something inside me said it doesn't matter how ugly it gets you still need to go this way and whether that be my own intuition or god talking to me it doesn't matter what mattered was i was getting that information and i learned how to just be very uncomfortable very quickly with my father not approving of that life and did and i just did it anyway and what i found was that parlayed into my ability to under, understand presence because i knew what discomfort really felt like because i didn't i never wanted to disappoint my dad and his personality very stoic and very just staunch rigid and and sometimes just like very disciplined and i realized you know what that's good I need to not cower from that because I didn't cower from that. I really felt myself understanding what presence meant being a bull rider. It doesn't mean I was really great at bull riding, but I got good enough where every time I felt the discomfort come about, I realized this is an opportunity for me 
to slow down my breath, to slow down my thought process, to really tap into my emotions, see where I'm at, and then be so honed in. So when I slide down on the back of that animal in that chute and I get prepped with my rope and they call the gate, then I actually can in fact become one with that animal and ride that bull very well. It's crazy to try to explain that in words, but the experiences I think people avoid the most are the ones that are the most uncomfortable. And that's where I think real magic lies in us understanding our ability to be persistent, our ability to achieve far beyond our perceived limitations. I think people feel something uncomfortable and it's immediately seen as a threat and we avoid it. So we appease and we just try to pull away from that discomfort, those feelings that don't we don't really like. And I could have done that with my dad and I didn't. I decided to go against the grain anyway. And as much as the knots in my stomach and the pain in my head and how much he just scoured at me and said, you know what? Unacceptable. I did it anyway because I wanted to know me. I didn't want to be living for something else. So that's what really helped me parlay that presence into bull riding. And then I took on that that energy, that information, and I continued to seek out environments that kept me in that space of doing hard things that were very uncomfortable and they were often dangerous for me bungee jumping, cliff diving, wherever I can go find what I was capable of accomplishing as myself. That's what helped me discover that. We, we have a lot of commonalities in, in that background. I've, I've done all the things you've described with the exception of bull riding, uh, <laughs> including going up against a very, a very overbearing dynamic father. And so if I may, and, and this is with all due respect to your dad and to my dad as well, but if I may, you talk about, fighting demons you know yep. I've seen that on your website and so if i may say that your father was a demon and and with all due respect you know he he was a demon you needed to to confront and then it's really an easier logical step to say a bull is is a demon i mean it, it's a it's a pretty ominous um adversary and so if you had to confront your father first, and then you took that and parlayed that, that into a, a really powerful, unconscious, just emotionally driven demon, mm. a bull, then you had, then you took that into war. How does that now stair step, same characteristic, same quality, how does it level up? It feels to me like it's a leveling up. And and you you could tell me I'm wrong, but talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I like you. The first person that's ever been able to hear me share the uh, story briefly about my interaction with my dad without going too too deep and too vulnerable. Um, I like that you brought it up that way. He represented, and again, colloquial speaking and le legitimately speaking, people don't realize there are so many dark forces out there besides just good stuff. We talk about people hearing all with the universe it's like well yeah what part of the universe because there's good and evil in the universe so which what what are you tapping into so at the end of the day it's nice that to hear you bring it to me that way is because yes i had to learn how to confront the very we'll call it demon i'm using air quotes for those that are listening uh, to be able to expand my capacity to understand more about myself to learn where my limitations really were and to understand what it meant to be comfortable in in the, the most uncomfortable of situations until you face demons, the demons that plague you, whether it's from childhood trauma, from life itself, from being beaten up by your experiences, until you face them head on yourself, that's the hardest thing for human beings is to face themselves. Every, we all are afraid of facing our stuff. 
we like to point out the demons of everybody else but man when it comes to battling our own oh no that's that's the scary part now when you can do that though life transforms that's where real transformation happens is when you're willing to go into the dark waters we otherwise wouldn't want to avoid when you're willing to face even the smallest of situations like the boss that's being a jerk to you or the the partner that may not be respecting some of your boundaries or you know the heaviness of what may have broken you as a young person the scars will remain but the impact that that experience has on you will not if you're willing to face it so because i did that mm-hmm. every time i got put into a situation combat with cowboys where we got into fist fights because somebody might have been alcohol induced it's almost like you knew how to operate in that environment much more efficiently so then you go into war you get into gunfights with your team you realize what's happening you're fighting serious demons out in the battlefield it's almost like that helps you become even calmer in the chaos calm is a superpower in chaos so you really develop those skills and i think not everybody's built to necessarily get to that level we're all in different capacities but there for the most part we can take that information and we can use it as we see fit for our lives whether it be the average joe down here doing blue collar job all the way to the you know multi-millionaire business owner it's about understanding that the only way we truly know what we're made of, the only way we're truly capable of pushing through limitations, the only way we're really going to transform. And I don't use that word lightly because that is a heavily marketed word in self-help, but really transform ourselves is discerning whether or not an uncomfortable situation is a threat or if it's an asset for your growth and for your ability to go beyond your limitations. And I think that's the piece that really I, dis- I discovered at a young age and how I've been able to take that along with me through my entire life. Now, the last part of this to share with you is I also look back and realize my life experiences were not what made me who I am. They helped reveal to me more about what I was born into this world with. When I say Demon Slayer, I'm legitimately talking about that. I am allegedly fighting behind the scenes some of the most nastiest, most prominent demons, if you will, for some of the most powerful people, but I'm doing it from a holistic human performance standpoint. You know, you, it's really getting into the trenches with these people who have to have the impact in the masses so they can face what still might be harboring inside them, what they may have not looked at their entire lives, what they may have avoided, because that's what it takes to accelerate them so they can live a life of peace and have a positive impact on the environment and on policy and on the masses on the people that they lead. So yes, it goes back to that point. You have to start somewhere and most people avoid it and they just take it with them throughout their life. And then they tell other people, we're all we're all full of messes and, and problems and traumas. Just deal with it. That's life such as life. And you just, you just try to suck it up and, and, and sweep it under the rug thinking it has no impact on your performance or your ability to succeed at what you want. Absolutely true. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Bersuba is a demon fighter, uh-huh. demon slayer as well. I mean, we, um, we don't use that terminology like you do, but yeah, is it, is it not true that every single one of us has darkness within us? And to the degree that we don't accept that, then we live in denial. And we also, you know, again, we live in a dualistic, polaristic world and and you can't have light without dark. You can't have positive without negative. And one of the things we find consistently is that everybody want to collect wants to collect. And this is an old analogy because we don't have coins much anymore. But but as a metaphor, everyone wants to collect all the quarters that they can get, they can possibly get, but they only want the heads, they don't want the tails. Sure. And and so right. I've how right. many how many quarters are you going to get? None. Um so 
Bersabo, do you? Have, I'd I'd love to hear you ask him, given your <laughs> perspective and from where the way you come at these dark forces. Maybe you the have some questions forces? for him as to how he deals with with his clients. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to know, like, what are um what are some of the methods, I guess, that you use with your clients in order for them to be able to <clears throat> deal with the demons or 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 yeah, release themselves of it basically. yeah i fight them head on i put them in positions that they can't control i rattle them by making them realize that what they think is going on is not what's actually going on so my work is not the work i do is not a, a program i'm not there's no um systematic approach to every individual that i work with i only work with two maybe three people a year if if that it's very intimate I travel with them. I live with them. I'm 24 seven in their life with them by their side, maximum of 12 months. So I will spend sometimes a year with someone. Um, I become a new family member. I am a basic integrated confidant that's in the trenches. I get to see where they won't even let their therapist see. I go places where there's no stone is left unturned with the work that I do. So if I have the ability, just what, however I was built to see truly where things are in fact being held back, limited or affected just by interacting with the individual. My charism, if you will, the best way I can describe it is I'm an eruptor. So I have always worked with people based on their experience with me and never on strategy call or sitting down and talking about what their goals are, or what we're going to accomplish together when we go through X, Y, Z. I get clients in the most weirdest ways possible through walking through conferences and having grown men and powerful men walk up to me and tell me who the F am I all the way to guys tell me, I got a secret. I got to tell you, I just saw you hanging out with so-and-so over there. And I thought maybe I'd share this with you. And then them going, I have no idea why I just told you. But all I know is you feel different and I want to know what it is you do. So it always comes back to the fact that my work is very personalized based on the interaction and the relationship with the individual that I end up deciding to work with. The work ends up happening based on how long I decide they're going to be calibrated. I can spend weeks, if not upwards of months with an individual long before we've even decided whether or not they're going to write the check to even do the work. So it comes down to the fact that this is real relationship dynamic aspects of holistic human performance. And I am in fact getting into the trenches and making them experience true eruption of what demons they might be carrying inside them because I don't need to teach a billionaire how to make a billion dollars. However, that billionaire needs his life completely erratically transformed so he can experience peace, more satisfaction, more freedom in his relationships, better health, more focus. Does he make more money? Consequently, absolutely. But it's getting them away from the god of money and the god of notoriety and the god of, of perception and back into how well they live their lives has a bigger impact on the masses than just their ability to create something or achieve something and so that's why the best way i can describe it is i become for all intents and purposes a different version of um somebody called it kingmakers do the certain things with certain people on a public persona level you know making a politician and making a president I'm the guy that's in the trenches behind the scenes as a special operations guy that comes in, cleans everything up, fixes their life, rebuilds that human being from the inside out and the bottom up so that they can break through their ultimate level, know what they're truly capable of, where they're really meant to be. And then I get out of their life and get out of their way and they never see me again. So it's a, that's the best way I can give that answer. And, okay, you know, when you say you fight them, mm -hmm. um, yep. you know, I mean, do you, are you literally talking about 
about putting on gloves and going at it? I, I would assume no. Um, but I hope not. <laughs> but specifically, if, if they if they need it, oh, he gives a beating so, too. <laughs> so how much how much of your approach comes from then your military experience? Yeah, it's I nothing I do is an approach. So I, I've had so many public figures go, I don't like your approach. And I go, this is not an approach. See, this is how brainwashed people are because of the personal development self-help field. It is conditioned people to hear terminology and to expect coaching and, and support to look a certain way, to show up a certain way. I'm an anomaly. I don't. So my if I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm just having a conversation with them. If they don't like what they hear, going back to what we talked about with me facing my dad and all that, if we, they don't like what they hear, it's their job to sit there and learn how to discern why I'm in their face to begin with or saying what I'm saying. Because if my your friend introduced us together and you said, who's the guy that you've been working with? I want to talk to him too. But then you and I sit down together and have dinner and you start not liking what I'm saying. It's time to slow down and discern. Okay, he sounds different. He feels different. Something's different here. But he's clearly not a threat because my friend brought him to the table. But a lot of people don't like that. A lot of powerful, prominent people in positions of leadership and authority like to control their resources. They like to manage what they call a coach or a confidant or an advisor because they don't want to show them the real things that are going on inside, what's going on behind the curtain. And there's so many people in these positions, if you were to yank the curtain back, you'd stop spending money on them. You'd stop following them. You're like, that's your life. That's how you're living. And I've seen it firsthand being behind the scenes with these people. So it's a relationship. It's real care, concern, love, and push for someone who says, this is who I am on the surface, but behind the scenes is falling apart, burned out at their wit's end, maybe not dealing, not living the life they say they really want. Creativity is starting to feel like it's frazzled. And they're going, I've been through the gamut. I've spent millions of dollars on personal development. And yet I'm still here 30 years later. I need something radical and different. And that's why when they experience this, they go, okay, this is not a typical coaching thing. You are not a normal person. You have not built anything the way that I'm used to. I need to lean into that and I need to see where this is going to go. And that's usually what happens in the dynamic with me. So it's the military part gives me an understanding of how to sit even deeper into the war that will happen in the dynamic as we are pushing through limitations and we're pushing through thresholds. We're facing things that they have swept under the rug, but I don't take my military and utilize it like a lot of these military guys as the, I would say the foundation for the work that I do. The work that I do is based on who I am. Everything else is just a tool and asset that I can tap into and use as needed. Like I have a network of 40 plus specialists that work in tandem with me across the field of human performance. Psychologists, doctors, naturopathic doctors, I have personal trainers. If I need them, they come and they work with that individual holistically together as life is happening because that's where real shifts can happen rather than it being like, hey, you know, I'm dealing with a stress today and Friday I go see my therapist. And by the time you go sit down with your therapist or your coach, you're kind of giving them 20% of what really was happening on that day. There's no real vulnerability and, and, and truth there. I, they don't have that option with me. They have somebody who can see it. And in the moment, I'm right there poking at it, going after it, putting them in position so we can resolve it for good so that the byproduct is accelerated performance and success. Hmm. Let me ask you this, because yeah. I've been – there's so many things that I want, I'd like to come circle back to. Um, one of which, and again, if you know anything about my background, I, I have had 
a tremendous rise and a fall in the personal development industry. And I was, I was assumed to be at the top of the top at one point and then was in a horrendous accident. And so I've, I've seen behind the curtain. I know, I know the curtain and and I want to talk about that, but before we get there, I'd like to ask you if your experience is similar to what I've been taught and what we've been taught in the Toltec tradition. I've been exposed to a lot of great teachers in my life. I'm really blessed. And one of them is the Toltec tradition. And in the Toltec tradition, they state that no one ever really does what's necessary to change, we could say transform, until they're backed into a corner with a dagger hanging over their head. Now, I mm. love the Toltec, and that kind of encapsulates Toltec because they don't pull punches. They have these really visual, very visceral kind of analogies. Mm-hmm. Would you say that most of the clients you work with have have pretty mm. much run the gamut and they're at a point where they're, they, they're I've, I've, I've tried everything I know of and and now mm. I've got to do something different and I don't like being vulnerable. I don't like being confronted, but yeah. I'm in the, I'm in the corner and if I with a dagger hanging over my head and if I don't do something different, I'm done. Yeah. Um, is, yeah. Is that kind of the people that you end up working with? Every yes, and I, I don't know Toltec very well, so I don't know, but I understand the 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 use of, of the visuals, the analogy it makes. Human beings are funny. It's we wait till we're nearly on our deathbed before we decide to actually make a radical change, and that's un, un, to me that's unacceptable. I think it's pathetic. I think that's that showcases how much fear still is present in people and lack of trust. And I think what it would it, it also showcases that if people are, regardless of their beliefs, people are too reliant on the self and not plugged into a power source that's greater than themselves to help them deal with and manage the hardships of life. Everybody wants it to feel a certain way. Everyone wants to control and manage it. And that's what ends up happening is they progress through life trying to keep things at bay that challenge them, that confront them until they get to the point where they've got the knife hanging over their head, like you just said. And it's like, I have to make a radical change. But by that time, look how much money, energy, effort, relationships, everything have been sacrificed just to get to this point where you're looking back and going, why did I not do this all those years ago? So every person I've ever worked with for the last 14 years have all been in that position. Most of them ended up that are in the worst position possible are those that came from the personal development space. The public figures and influencers that I have been introduced to were basically burned out at their wits end. They are, for all intents and purposes, these massive figures on paper with all the net worth and all the popularity. However, the PR person we knew together introduced us, the intimate relationships we have. It's like, I'm fried. I'm at my wits end. I am tired of bleeding money constantly while trying to keep money. My wife doesn't respect me. My children aren't listening to me. My dog isn't coming home when I call it. I'm so ready to throw it all away. And I'm at a point where some of them have said I've contemplated suicide. I've contemplated literally going and figuring out, just shutting it all down and like moving to an island. I mean, I'm giving radical examples, but this is how they feel inside. And they go, I don't know what is going on here. I met a guy who said, I spent $2 million on personal development and here I am fried. Why? I've worked with the best of the best. And it's because everything in life has been compartmentalized. It's we have faith groups that only focus on faith. 
They don't focus on anything else. You have, you know, we talk about business groups only focus on strategies and business. We have people that are focused on manifestation over here, but they don't understand what it even means to quote manifest or where that's coming from, but they think they do. We have people that are focused on, you see where I'm going with this? It becomes a very compartmentalized life for everyone. And we buy into it as this is how it goes. The problem is you need all of those together to feed each other and you need someone who can put you through the gamut who brings those to the table and i think that's where we're falling short and why the people that are at the top have led the way in that dysfunction and has given people permission to follow suit which is why we believe life is a never-ending work in progress we believe that traumas are what make us who we are we believe that our mess is our message we believe all of these lies that keep us basically hindered from reaching our full potential. And then what you do is you see those at the top building their businesses on those lies so they can keep people building up their empires while everybody else is staying stuck chasing that next best thing, that next book, that next seminar, that next coaching program. And it's like, we got to get to those leaders and get them to stop waiting until their lives are about to fall apart and fix them so they can actually help change the landscape that they're supposed to be leading the right way. And that's the problem that we're facing right now is people have been back in the corner. And unfortunately, I'm out in the world going, stop it. Stop acting like you're good. Start doing the real work, facing yourself. That sliver that human being goes, help me is there, but all the other stuff is in their way. Lean into it, get pulled out of the muck because I'm telling you, there's so much more you're capable of if you're willing to do that hard work. And a lot of them don't. They want to wait till they're nearly dead to do that. That's pathetic. And that's unacceptable to me. I, I, totally agree with you and in in that particularly the, the final point that you made you know in the mystery teachings they say if many are called and few are chosen which they're referencing the bible obviously the yes. only reason fewer chosen is not because those chosen are quote special it's because those chosen are the very few who are willing to do the work so many are called, few are chosen because right. only few are willing to do the work. It's yeah. tough. Right. It's, it's tough. tough. I mean, Pirsaba can tell you um, the last 10 years, you know, I 10 years ago, Wiley, I I came out of, of prison. I was in a horrible accident. I was I was I was homeless. I was I was alone, you know. Uh, I hadn't met my lovely wife yet. And I was $20 million in debt. And for the last 10 years, we have been primarily working. And I, and I thought, you know, I, I can, I, can I go back on stage again and act like I'm, I'm all that, you know, because, because that's what's happening. And I'm sure you, you can re relate to this. There's so many of those people you described that come out and they go, Oh, my life is great. And, and, and look at this and look at this and look at this. And then, and then it, it, it breeds dysfunction and pathology because people in the audience are going, what's wrong with me? Well, right. You haven't seen behind the curtain is what's, is what's really wrong. And so, because all of us have our demons and all of us have our, our darkness and, Here's yeah. he, here's my my thought, our thought, and is that you don't really ever kill your demons. You you harness them and you point them in the right direction. And I'd love to hear your opinion on that. You use them mm -hmm. instead of being used by them. Yeah, put them to work. Yeah, that how do I that's okay, I'm glad you brought that up too. <laughs> it's uh 
the demons that you can use for your benefit and your asset are the life's stresses that you've endured, that you've encountered from the traumas, the, the, the pain, the suffering. But there are forces at play that we can't use. There are other aspects of life that need to be battled and need to be eradicated. You can, in fact, resolve stress. I'm not talking about like the normal stresses of life. We're all human. We're, we're, we're going to have those moments. I, I, I'm not sitting here telling people I live in some fairy tale land where nothing bothers me and nothing, nothing shows up because I'm so perfect. What I'm saying for those that are listening to it going, yeah, right, guy. It's the fact that I, when it comes up, I'm, I'm able to discern and recognize it right away. Okay. There's a reason I'm getting irritated right now. What is this that's here? And how do I make sure that does not hinder what it is that I'm focusing on or doing. So I would say to that is that those are the demons you can use if we're gonna label it that colloquially speaking is the stresses, right? The, the, you see the celebrities like Matthew Perry spent $9 million trying to get sober. Those are the demons that are, he's dealing with, never could get sober. So it's almost like, what are you wasting your money and time on? We can face whatever caused that issue and we can resolve it the right way so he never has to deal with the power that they had over him. They, it doesn't mean that he won't be aware that it's still there, but he can then turn around and know how to now navigate life much more fluidly and efficiently because he was willing to face it and do something about it. There are some you cannot actually battle without the proper support that do have a very significant hold on a lot of people. And I think there are a lot of people that have climbed the ladders of success that have, have tapped into demonic dark forces for the sake of their success. So those are the people that are, those are gonna be hard to actually face and, and battle because they're not gonna let them let go. So I would say it's almost like instead of making the excuse that your life traumas or stresses or pain going to prison, whatever might've happened is the reason why you can't have X or you can't accomplish Y, flipping that on its head and saying, yes, you can, if you just recognize what those demons are, how they have influenced your life. What resources do you have around you to help you get into the fight with them so you can learn how to face them and confront them and know how to turn around and use them for an accelerant for your performance and your success and your happiness and your joy, whatever we wanna throw at it. That would turn the tables for people. But I feel that people are becoming too victimized to their life experiences and they are letting their demons overpower them and then they're using that as an excuse for why they're constantly chasing personal development rather than becoming someone who knows how to use it to better their life it's the never-ending quest of tony robbins events you know i'm i'm 10 times i've gone to date with destiny why why are you there again it's because nobody's ever been able to poke at and get them into the place where they can go this is what's really needed to be faced this is what the work i really need to do because that can then actually accelerate me through here to then be able to take what tony teaches me and apply it to my life Hmm. Right. Yeah. And the discipline and the perseverance yeah, well, and, and, and the perseverance. And, you know, as we look mm -hmm. at the and I'm not going to bash the younger generations because it's across the board. This is this is ubiquitous. And yet it tends to be, in our experience, really happening a lot in the younger generations. We have people that have come to work That's for right. us and they say things like, well, you know, I'll give it eight months. Yeah. And then if it if it <laughs> if it hasn't happened for me, then I'm gonna, you know, move on and find something else to do. And and huh. I say eight, eight months. 
eight months, you know, and you're and you're 33 years old. And, and in eight months, you're going to completely turn your life around. Um, okay. It's, it's yeah, it, it's really ironic. You know, I'm going to go to a three day weekend and yep. it's going to solve everything. Well, nope. no, it's not. Um, because, oh, man. because it's like going to a rock concert. You know, yeah. it feels good in the moment. Uh, yeah. But what yeah. does it really do? A couple of things you've you've mentioned. You mentioned this several times, and actually, our friend Jeremy uh, told us that you talked a lot about discernment. I'd like to hear you yeah. talk about that because you've mentioned it a couple of times here today. <laughs> okay. Discernment, uh, a very weak muscle. I think <laughs> society now more than ever, people not learning how to d- discern what's a threat. What's not a threat? Where should I actually be putting my energy and my focus? Where should I not? Um, I would use discernment to describe our current situation, the landscape. Regardless of people's beliefs, we all know, we can all feel something funky is going on in our in our culture, in our country. Something is really weird. I and mean, even some of the atheists that I've heard on interviews are going, okay, I got to admit, something funky is going on. We're feeling some crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. So what's happening here with that is it's, recognizing all of this is happening people are still having a hard time discerning you know what that might be and where their life is being influenced by that or how to actually benefit from what might be going on or prepare for whatever so i think that the discernment aspect of things is where i was able to at a young age and i'm sure you were as well learn how to identify in the moments of stress what in fact is showing up in tribulation for you to grow to become better, to tap deeper into your faith, to find resources that actually support you the right way. It's learning how to become finite in those moments. I think people are equating discomfort with a lack of safety. Mm -hmm. I think it's another problem. We think that uh, if we are not comfortable, then we are missing out on peace, that we are missing out on safety that we're missing out on things that are good for me and everything has become hyper polarized where if it feels good it's a good thing if it feels bad it's a bad thing and there's no middle ground there there's no exploration of especially with the younger generations and 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 again this goes back to the leadership we have older generations acting this way of course they're going to give permission to younger generations to do the same thing so it's learning how to like i said I, i said from this public figure who said i don't like the way you you feel i don't like the and it's like well here's the thing your job is to discern why i'm here right now do you think i just showed up out of nowhere that i just came out of left field because i saw you as a target and i want to come after you and do something to you or wait a minute your friend introduced us because you would ask questions about what he was doing and you wanted to know if i'd be ta- willing to talk to you so maybe right now you go "Ooh, i can discern that this is my stuff something's rattling inside me being in front of this guy huh, let me see where this takes me by leaning into the conversation more rather than just seeing, oh my gosh, I don't like it. I'm going to run away from it. I think if we teach people discernment as a skill set and helping build that muscle that's been atrophied, we might find these younger generations going far beyond that mindset of if I give it eight months, how uh, if it doesn't turn me around, then I'm going to move on. You actually might be able to discern the fact that I am maybe putting my energy and focus in the wrong three-day weekends. Maybe I need to stop following so-and-so over here and actually start going over here. That's the thing I think that we're missing is that nobody's identifying 
where they should or shouldn't go. It just sounds good. It feels good. It's the raw, raw. It looks good. Therefore, yeah. it must be good for me too. And then we get lost. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It's it's almost like a drug. Yeah. It, it's an escapism yeah. for, for yes. a finite period of time. Um, yeah. As you talk about discernment, one of the, and, and by the way, it's really interesting because that's a very high value for me, um, mm-hmm. particularly in this year, I chose to, to really make that a focus. And so that's what initially attracted us to be able to speak with you today, because Jeremy said, well, he talks a lot about discernment. I said, oh, really? Um, how do you how do you uh, believe that discernment uh, works with responsibility? And here's here's maybe a difficult question, maybe not. But which one has to come first? Mm. Mm. Discernment and responsibility, or how they interweave? Into how they each other? Inter- how they interweave, and and does one have to take precedent over the other for the other to follow? Hmm. I, I think what's coming up for me is is the fact that they could. I think they both should actually work together in unison. I think there's. I think it's responsibility is. Oh, that's another one that's lacking in our, our culture today. Nobody wants to take on any responsibility. I talked to Jeremy about this. Was people are quick to try to push off that that accountability and that responsibility. Nobody wants to hold anything. Nobody actually knows how to hold anything. If I discipline a young kid now because he threw a lit cigarette butt into the bushes of the place that I live and I know it's a fire hazard. Hey, pick up your cigarette butt. I don't get sorry about that, sir, and pick up my butt and put it out. I get an attitude. I get a, a threatening, violent reaction because he doesn't like that he got caught and he doesn't want to hold that responsibility. I think what is it should go together. I think they should be in unison where that responsibility in that moment, he should also discern. I'm not attacking him. I'm not attacking you. I'm just holding you accountable because that's how a civilized society functions. That's how we always were supposed to function. Generations that are older than us, they retire, they step into the wisdom phase of life, turn around and they mentor and discipline and hold accountable the next generation and so on and so forth. And I think we've lost our way because some of the older generations have decided to become selfish and they don't teach these things to younger generations anymore. So I, the best way I can give it is there's not one before the other. I think they need to be together because they work in harmony where when you have responsibility, when I take responsibility for my family, I have to be able to simultaneously discern which direction to keep taking them. I have to be able to be responsible for if I make a bad decision and then be able to adjust to that and discern where that decision went wrong and how to make sure I make the better decision moving forward. They need to go together. I don't think I think we need we we should stop trying to compartmentalize everything and try to figure out how do we holistically bring it together and use it as this. It's like going to the gym. You're not going to work out your biceps only. You're going to work out the whole body. You're going to get you want your body to be symmetrically well, proportioned. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys just work their biceps, and we, yeah, a lot of guys work their tops. Yeah, yeah we know a lot of guys in the, in our gym who have. Yeah touch their legs in a lifetime um yeah yeah not a good yeah. um i i think i i like what you're saying and i think i think responsibility it's a big thing for us as well in fact i fully believe that if everyone in my last book the business of redemption i talk about something called absolute responsibility and i right. i believe 
that if every single one of us in the world right now took absolute responsibility for our own lives, the entire world would change. Sure. And, and when you talk, you talk about older generations that become selfish and aren't teaching the younger generations, I would say that's true. And in addition to that truth, a lot of the older generations, I mean, look at what's going on in our country alone right now. The people at the top are not taking any responsibility. Zero. Yeah. They're looking to place blame on 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 a, a former president, for instance, that, that has been gone for three years. It's all his fault still. Well, OK, it's been three, it's been three yeah. years. You know, yeah. So, yeah. so not to to get into politics, but I mean, the reality is we're looking we're looking at you talk about dark forces, yeah, battle going on in the world right now, and I, I we believe, and we just talked to our mm-hmm. community members uh, last night, some of our community members, that we have a brief window of time, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, a brief window of time to save our our country and to save our souls and and there Great. are there are a lot of dark forces that are not wanting that to happen mm-hmm. and i also also believe that the forces of light are way more powerful than the forces yes. of dark you know uh, is is silly or as old as this analogy may be you bring you bring a candle into a pitch black stadium and set it in the middle of the, of the floor and it changes the entire stadium. So, so um, I'd love to hear your comments on what's going on, on a, on a more, but I mean, we can talk about this country, but what's happening in this country is also happening in the world right now. It's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing time to be alive. It's not, it is. it's not comfortable, yeah. but it's not no. supposed to be comfortable. No, no, it's, really it's, 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 it is amazing time. I, I, I don't know if you both know this, but this last year, five exorcist movies came out. Uh, it, it's funny how five, five, that's like, it's never happened before. Then we had the sound of freedom come out, you know, with Jim Caviezel and we have, so it's interesting is because no matter what people's beliefs are, we all feel that we know something sinister is starting to erupt it's really showcasing itself and i will say it's like hey the devil's out you know what people don't got to realize it's it is light dark it's choose a side and at the end of the day what's happening especially in our country is we are allowing and unfortunately we're not allowing i want to use that term i'm going to say we are slowly watching our leaders and use those in air quotes they are starting to slowly and steadily chip away at the power structure to get away with more of what their own personal agendas are so that they can maintain power and they can maintain status. It's a relevancy. The human beings at that level want to be relevant and they are open, left open to those dark forces rather than being focused and committed to why they're there in the first place. And they're not allowing anything to seep in and infiltrate them. They're open to it because they are so lacking any kind of standards, any kind of morality, any kind of real commitment to their job or the oath that they took. And they're just following the money, they're following the power, and then they're being influenced by even greater dark forces that have influenced different religious institutions, the churches, all the way to the politics, all the way to, you know, geopolitical affairs, etc. I look at it this way, I just had a conversation yesterday about this very specific thing with someone that Jeremy introduced me to was the fact that we need more people in this country 
that do see this happening, who are willing to actually move through their own fear, their own self-worry about their own safety or own lifestyle and join almost like consortiums or collaborations with different organizations and really start to press towards those leaders to start changing it from a show of force long before we get into real, you know, real bad situations when it comes to combat, et cetera. So I think what's happening here is we have a lot of combat veterans that are out there right now, guys like Mike Glover and Andy Stomp and Jocko Williams and all those guys are out there. They've created these networks and these contingencies that again, unfortunately, sometimes it, you know, the FBI called Mike Glover, who's a former special forces veteran who started the great American uh, uh, syndicate, I think, or contingency, he called him a domestic terrorist. He was on Joe Rogan. And it's like, no, he's not. He's helping Americans become prepared for disasters, man-made or natural. Uh, but that just showcases the power dynamic at the top, trying to shut down Americans who want to support and maintain our country. And until we do something radical, we're, we're going to basically be that frog in that pot with that slow boiling water. That eventually we're not going to realize we're being burned alive and it's going to require a radical shift it's going to require people to go back to our beginning of our conversation face those demons face the discomfort do something even if it's small to contribute to the numbers we need as a society to push back on this small minority that we're appeasing to so we can actually change the ballot boxes the policies that are being enacted the fact that Biden sending tons of money to another country while ours is burning is absolutely unacceptable. All of that needs to be, we need more reformers and less reporters. We need people willing to take action, provide solutions, and be able to join forces in a consortium of sorts to fight it the right way. And if worst case scenario, we've got to get a little, we got to get a little more aggressive, then, we, then that's what apparently we'll get to if God wants us to have that. But it is true. There is a serious, dark, versus light fight right now in the world and we know the light is greater and we know if you talk about the bible early in our conversation we know that we know the end and it's like god wins so if you want to look at it that but we're going to go through the tribulations we're going to go through a reset we're going to go through a great cleanup and we've got to be willing to step up and fight where we can to support it or we're going to lose it forever and i think that's what people are afraid of they want to say i don't want to lose my country but what are you doing to step up and face the demons? What are you doing to, to, to get out there outside of your own bubble and actually sacrifice some of your own comfort to make sure that you don't lose your country? And I think that's where we need to start. I yeah, agreed. I have to say, you know, um, fully, we both fully agree to that. Yeah. We, we have a lot of conversations <laughs> around that actually. And, yeah. and we've, we've of late said, look, the polls are getting further and further away between call it the light and the dark, or yeah. whatever you want to call it, um, the the life life giving and the life taking, and right. and we're being forced to to choose, and so many people are still wanting to play the middle ground. Out of denial, yeah. they're wanting to play the middle ground, and there's no place where this is more insidious than personal development. When I yeah. when I look at these individuals who used to be considered my peers, if you will, yeah, not. Yeah. Not one of them <clears throat> is courageous enough, and I don't know what they believe or I don't know what they think because I've been so far removed from that. But what I do know is they're going on with business as usual. Hey, download yep. this swipe file and become a millionaire and do this. <laughs> that. You yeah, know, yeah. I, I mean, 
they're going on with business as usual and they're they're because they're so afraid. And when my situation went sideways, which was horrendous, if you know the story, it was totally manipulated by the media and the government. It was yeah. totally the the so-called justice system is not the justice system. It's a power grab and it's a seeking for for money and materialism. And every single one of them tucked tail and ran. There wasn't one right. person besides the late great Bob Proctor, who who God rest his soul, he he was a friend of mine, and he had yeah. courage to go out and go. Wait a second, here. Everyone else either disappeared or yeah. worse, stabbed me in the back. And this is the industry that wants to espouse, you know, love and goodness and help people and helping people and 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 community and yep, yep, yep. You you look at we're all one except for you. Yeah, we're all one but you you are not. Um but yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reality is we've got to we've got to take a stand. Until you're forced to take a stand, you don't know what you stand for. You just don't it's complacency. It's just it's complacency. And it's the, uh, I don't believe it'll happen here mindset. And so let's just distract and stay in the coping stage of life and feel good about things because I don't want to see the truth of what's really going on. And what happens is there's so many people doing that. Then they start to pervert objective truth. They try to make truth subjective. And then they try to say, well, that's your reality. That's your truth, not mine. And it's like, no, you can't. That's objective truth is objective truth. No matter how much you want to you know, convince yourself in your mind of it. And then it's like, these are the people get wrapped up in what you just talked about. They get wrapped up in being fooled by those that are trying to stay in the middle. And it's like, there is no middle ground anymore. Sometimes life throws polarization and we have to choose a side and we have to fight for it. And we have to do that right now. And that's what's happening around the world right now. And it's, it's people are trying to be balanced. You can have balance being on one side. You can have balance being on the other side, but you have to very much pick which direction you want to go. Going back to our <laughs> a piece about discernment, you have to choose and understand what direction I should go that's going to be in alignment with my morals, my values, my standards, how I see me contributing to what it is I say I, I'm all about. Because those guys you're talking about, I'm sure I know plenty of them behind the scenes. They are all about me. They're all about self. They're all about right. my empire, my business, mm-hmm. how much millions more I can close in a, in a product launch next week. You know, it's not truly about the community, they can care less because I've seen people, I've had friends of mine that have paid money to that and they go, dude, I didn't get anything from them. And now they won't give me my money back, even though they have a guarantee to it and they have to fight tooth and nail. And it's like, okay, guys, what are we doing here? People in those positions need to step up and become leaders rather than trying to market themselves as leaders. Or maybe they just need to step down. Or they need to step down. And let the yeah. real ain't gonna happen though. Yeah. <laughs> well it's coming. Well, there's nothing it's like, coming there's nothing like a good disruption to, yeah. to no. bring out the truth. And and here's you know, you mentioned God several times, which I'm happy to hear. You know, one of the things, you know, Bersaba and I both believe very strongly in in God. And here's here's what I believe, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, and I'll use an analogy. We we have we used to have a vertical relationship. And again, this is a metaphor because even the Christ said the kingdom of heaven is within. It's not somewhere up in the clouds. But we had this vertical relationship with a hierarchical structure that once, if you go back probably to the late 60s, maybe mid-60s, it was God, it was parents, 
and it was country or church and then country. I mean, and maybe the order could be a little bit different, but that's how we were raised as children. God, parents, you know. Me too. And and so so now we've lost, and, and that is a life of virtue and values and morality and yes. all those things. You know, we've made massive leaps in technology in our world, and we've made massive leaps in spirituality, unfortunately, in the wrong direction. We, we've right. made massive leaps, you know, in a good direction in technology, but in an absolute wrong direction in in religion and spirituality. So right. we've lost this vertical relationship, and now all we have is a horizontal relationship. And I'm writing about right. this in my new book. And that's a, right. it's the sacred versus the secular. We live in a secular world. You mentioned earlier the yep. God of money. Well, if you look at what's God in our world today, what is it? It's money and materialism. That's what we worship. Yep. And so look at people go, how in the world did this country get here? This is not what I was raised to believe about. If, if they're paying attention and not in total denial, this is not what I was raised to believe. Well, this is how we got here because we've, we've, we prayed at the altar of, of money and materialism for so long. And we've made that our God and we've lost this sacred connection with something that was, was a, a hierarchy of a higher nature that reminds us of those mm. virtues, values. Go back to the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. Mm. Go back to the Christ teachings. Go back to Plato. Yeah. And Aristotle. So yep. anyway, I can get on a roll, and, and, I, and yeah, I, I love it. love to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'd love to hear from you, your opinion on that. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting. You brought the 60s up. That's when we took God out of schools. Uh, they, they took God out of schools and then Kennedy was assassinated and everything from that point became free love, you know, do whatever you feel like doing, whatever makes sense for you. And we've disconnected from, again, like you, I like to use vertical hierarchy, if you will. And it's like that power source that really gives life that helps us understand our life. We've lost sanctity in relationships. We've lost sanctity with uh, values and standards. We've made, um, physical intimacy we allow people to believe that they can just have whatever they want whenever they want and there's no consequence to that it's it's just this do whatever you want to do however you want to do it don't worry about the consequence just live your life and then and then you people wonder why they're miserable people wonder why things are so stressful people wonder why they're still kind of questioning whether or not that relationship mattered or this mattered over here and then we've got now abortion is now normalized as a thing and people are making excuses for why killing babies is okay and acceptable it's health care um it goes into the space of, and I grew up the same way, it's God, family, country. Uh, every man in my family served in the military from World War II on. We've all been in combat. We've all served our nation under God. And at the end of the day, I grew up uh, in a Catholic family. Everyone in my family is from Ireland and Scotland all the way over to the United States. Uh, we are people of faith in our way. And we've understood that learning about morals, learning about why we have those quote rules from the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments. People don't want, adults especially, they don't wanna be disciplined. They don't wanna be obedient to anything. They don't want um, someone to tell them what to do. They don't want to be held accountable for their misdeeds or their actions. They just wanna be left alone to do whatever to their devices. And nobody teaches people anymore 
you know what? When you hear obedience, it doesn't mean subservience. It doesn't mean you're a slave. What it means is relationship, accountability to the relationship. It means relying on and trusting something bigger than you. It means right. understanding that you, in faith, more blessings can come to your life if you have that kind of trust, but we don't want that. Now, in the, I would say the mid 1500s, we had this huge overtaking of, especially in the Catholic church, I'll, I'll just use that as because of my, my upbringing, uh, where there were a lot of authoritarianism taking over in the church. So it started to irritate the population. So we had the, the God of reason took over in the place of God. People did not want to follow the authoritarian nature of religion and God. If God is going to be this and do that and, and say this, then I don't want that. My logics and my reasoning make more sense than what is being taught to me. Therefore, that is what has been passed on. So we've been struggling since then to get people back into the most basic level of morality because we have let reasoning become our new God. Logics and science have taken over and taught us all of that you've heard before is not true. This is what's true. So then we are fighting against people being open to understanding what you said, that vertical connection, that relationship that can power us and allow our world to be a better place. We have sealed ourselves off and we have relied too heavily on the self. And now everybody's running around in the wrong direction spiritually going, well, the universe is going to give it to me. Well, you know, the, you know, the butterflies and the numbers I'm going to get it from. It's like, what are you tapping into when you do that? You know what I mean? Like you say, I tap into the universe for my power. Well, there's evil in the universe too. Are you tapping into the evil as well? Or are you tapping into the good? How do you know what you're praying to? How do you know what you're worshiping? And everybody gets angry at the idea that, why would I want to be obedient or, or uh, disciplined to a God when I can have this feel good free for all experience over here? And that's, that's also part of the fight that we're in right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we could, we could go on forever. I, <laughs> especially now that, <laughs> me too. Now, now that we've gotten more, now we're getting this. let me, yep. let me yep. you know, we, t we, we call this modern alchemy and alchemy is the art and science of transmutation. It's taking something of low value and transmuting yeah. it into something of high value. It's not about literally turning base metal into gold. It's, it's about an internal uh, alchemical process of taking something yeah. of low value and transmuting it. And so um, I'd love to hear, we, we always ask this question of our guests and I'd love to hear from you. Uh, what's one of the most difficult situations you personally confronted and how have you, we could call that a demon and how have you been able to, to transmute that into something that has actually been very valuable and good for you? Ooh. <laughs> Give me a second to let that, that percolate for just a quick moment. I would say, man, how many demons did I fight my entire life from, family dynamics to friendships, even in the military, other you know, big ego personalities. But I would say it was almost facing the truth about myself being kind of this weird, I, I whatever God gave me was different and people are gonna react to me the way they're gonna react to me is just normal because I'm giving that, that, that space for them to erupt and, and experience all that has been stuff down inside them. I'm just the place that allows it to come out. I think accepting that was the hardest thing for me. It, it, it realizing I'm not going to have a normal life. 
I'm not going to go out and just be a guy that gets to run a coin op laundry and go do some cool things on the weekends. I'm going to have all my friends around. We're just going to live the life of, of ease and luxury. I'm built to be fighting demons. I'm built to be in the trenches. I'm not, you know, when you're doing more good in the world, you're going to have more enemies than you are friends. That's just, it's natural. So I accept, accepting that was hard for me when I got out of the military and started really experiencing what I was meant to do in the world. I thought I was gonna be a firefighter and I've met my business partner. She goes, no, you're supposed to fight fire this way. You're gonna help men this way. And I, it took me a minute to accept that. And when I faced that, that battle head on and I sat with it and I really worked through it and I worked through the emotions, I worked through the outrage, I worked through the why God, I worked through all the f- frustration and, and anger that I did have as a man going, I have to be different and live this way. I realized that, you know what? I'm not trusting in God in this moment enough and I need to surrender and surrender to me was that alchemy. It was like when I learned how to surrender, not give up as a man, but surrender to this process, surrender to this path, to this purpose, this divine driven mission. It's amazing how it accelerated my value and accelerated my potential and allowed me to sit in front of powerful people and and basically you know command the work that i do to transform their lives to make a good living doing it to have people want and call me and going you know what i need you to meet with my friend because i know you're the guy that can get them through the thresholds it's almost like if i hadn't surrendered i probably wouldn't have been able to transform that value into where it is that i'm where i'm at today and to be sitting in front of people like you and having great conversations like this. I think that's what, what it really came down to was facing and learning what surrender meant as a man, not letting my ego get in the way mm. and accepting what God made me to do. It's changed my life. Well. <laughs> really well stated. Yeah. Um, honey. Yes. <laughs> Sur- yeah. Surrender. <laughs> surrender is, is a, you know, Bersava has. I'll just. I'll just let you in on a little insight. She. She has some real amazing gifts of working with people, and I'm sure you can relate to Wiley because mm-hmm. she's the one everyone calls up to dump all their garbage on. Yeah, to, all yeah. the time, her entire yeah. life. You know, and there's there's a reason for that. That's part of God. They call that. Yeah, they call that anointed. And I know people will hear that and say, oh, that's weird. Why would it's true though. You haven't, there's a certain, we all have different vocations and you, it makes sense. My business partner is a powerful woman who has similar things. She's got the, you know, uh, her ability to see and, and know, and that's how she navigates me as a soldier. So I totally respect and get it too. I, I, I know personally, you've got those gifts. We all have our own vocations and we just accept them. And we realize we're here to do a, a bigger, there's a bigger calling for all of us if we're willing to to shut our mouths and listen or shut our brains up and listen. Yeah. yeah and you know what's really interesting? If you look at at the uh, Old Testament and, and the book of Exodus in particular is just a fascinating yeah. story of if, if you read and really discern, good word, and, and analyze what's going on, you know, God tends to choose those who don't want to be chosen. You know, there's so many people <laughs> who go, pick so me, pick, pick me, pick yeah. me, pick me. I, yeah. You know, yeah. God, Moses stuttered. He he wasn't that charismatic, you know, and, and so those those kinds of things are really, really important to discern and to understand mm-hmm. and to surrender to. And I'll just say this. I love the word sacrifice, because if you trace the etymology back to, yeah. to its origins, it literally means to make sacred. And so right. when you sacrifice, what you're really doing is putting something of a lower value on the altar of life 
So right. something of a higher value yeah. can come to you. And right. very similar to surrender. You know, the right. sacrifice and surrender are kind of a synesthesia. So um, how can people find your work, Wiley? Again, we could talk forever and hopefully <laughs> yeah. we'll have to have you back. I, this has been I appreciate that. It'd be great to come back and keep it going. And I, I'll add to your last thing. You're right. Sacrifice, proper suffering, patience. Patience means to suffer. Uh, and at the end of the day, selflessness doesn't mean less for you. It means more of you for others. So I think that's another piece we can switch people's mindsets around. But uh, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to the next time we can chop it up again and keep going deeper. Um, but yeah, WileyMcGraw.com is the website we put together. Uh, all my philosophies and insights and understanding the nature of my work, what it really means. Uh, I'm on Twitter at WileyMcGraw as well. I'm kind of playing around in that landscape and having some great conversations with people. Uh, and just kind of just tapping into the whole social media world since it's pretty much new to me. I've never been a digital guy. So um, those are the places that people can find me. Okay, Wiley. Well, God bless you. I know that he does and keep doing God bless you as well. Keep doing great work. The world certainly needs it right now. Um, We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate you both.